0: If you would, take your Bible and look at Ephesians 1 first this evening, Ephesians chapter number 1, and as you're turning there, if you would, get your lesson sheet out, and uh, you can follow along a number of notes there. You have some blanks tonight that you can fill in. Some of you like taking notes different ways. Sometimes we give you all the notes with sections you can fill in, some things personally, and then... Some of you, you just like to have blanks and you like to walk away feeling like you've accomplished something. And so we've left room for you to comment personally for those of you that that is what you'd like. And we have left blanks for those of you that feel like you need to accomplish something this evening. And so if you would take your notes there and um, <coughs> have those ready. And if you're watching <coughs> online tonight, if you have mentioned that they are, those are available The notes are on the website on the connect page and just click today's sermon notes and you'll find those there ready for you. Ephesians chapter 1 tonight, we're going to jump right into it this evening to give ourselves some time at the end to spend some time together in prayer. And um, as you look there at your notes tonight, uh, you can start in Ephesians chapter number 1. You see the title says, centered in authentic worship, and we've been talking Uh, For a few weeks now, we've been walking through a number of different topics or ideas that we, when we look at Scripture, at the whole of Scripture, uh, we see that the Bible teaches an overwhelming theme that these things are essential, uh, they are needed, they are required, they are absolutely necessary. That's how we're defining those things. For the individual believer... And then they're also taught to be necessary for uh, the corporate or the church as a whole, not just God's individual people, but God's whole body. And so we have talked about a number of things the last few weeks. We dealt with the authority of Scripture, that as individuals and as a church, the Bible is the final authority for everything that we believe, that we do, that we say, and how we live our lives. That is the final authority because it is God's Word to us. Uh, We covered discipleship, we covered doctrine, evangelism, faith, because the Bible says without it, it's impossible to please Him. We talked about personal holiness, and we talked about uh, community, and that it is necessary for the believer and then for the church as well. So those are some of the things that we feel like the Bible teaches us, that they're essential for us individually, but we have really covered them because the Bible teaches they are absolutely necessary for God's church, particularly His local church. And you see there tonight that our idea or topic for this evening is to be centered in, and we have phrased it this way, authentic worship, real worship. And uh, here is what I want you to do. You see there kind of the big gap in your early part of your notes. It says, what is worship? Fill in your own answer below if you have a pen or something you can write with. And I think it'd be interesting, kids, if you have a, a lesson sheet tonight, you can jot down what do you think worship is, and you can write down your definition and let mom and dad look at it a little bit later, it'd be a good discussion point, I think. But what is worship? Just give a, a short summary in your own words. You can take a moment now, I'll talk a little bit so there's not horribly awkward silence for everyone while we think <clears throat> and write. But it, it, we're not going to be grading these this evening There is, it's not a trick question where the teacher says, write down what you think it is, and then they blast you because it's something totally different. I I just want you to write down for a moment what you think worship is, or at least what comes to mind when you think of worship. What do you think? What, What immediately comes to your mind individually? You see there that we have looked at these basics and these essentials, and this is another one of those things that is absolutely necessary and essential as individuals and as a church. And so if you would, look at Ephesians chapter 1. This is going to be another one of those lessons this evening where we are in a number of passages all throughout to help us with some time. We'll put some of them on the screen, and then other chapters we'll look up individually. So as you've written those things down there, you can continue writing if you'd like in a moment, but let's look first at Ephesians chapter number 1 and look down at verse Number uh, four, Ephesians one, verse number four says that according as he hath chosen us in him. Notice this before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Isn't it interesting that God had a plan before plan for us individually before the world was even formed, before the foundations of the world was laid, God had a plan for our lives. And what is part of that plan? Verse number five. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. He says his plan was to bring us to himself through Christ. According to the good pleasure of his will. And then notice this. Another part of his plan. Before the foundation of the world. This is what he had laid out for us. What is it? Verse six. To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. What is this telling us? This says that God, part of God's plan for us, before, not just before you and I were born, but before the world was formed, His plan for us was to praise Him and worship Him, was to lift up the glory of His grace. So I would say that very quickly tonight, we've established that this is a necessary, essential part of our lives, that worship is not something for some people. It, it's not something for certain gifted people. It's not something for cheerful people or people that that's just their nature or their spirit. This is for all creatures, period, that God has created. But then more than that, it is specifically for those that is called his children and called to himself. So you have filled in, what do you think worship is tonight, authentic worship, in your own words? And, and I think that there's a number of things. Maybe he says something about there's different things I glance at today that different people think worship is. And it's some people say it's when authentic worship is not just when something is sung or when they're in a worship service, but when emotionally and mentally what God is doing, that it matches the way that they feel or the way that they think. Uh, it says, what I know and experience matches my circumstance. Maybe you wrote down something that you do or something that you do before God. Maybe we wrote down that it's when we have a sense of God's presence and and that it's my praise toward Him. But I want you to think about this tonight, and this is why it is crucial that we get this right. You as as a person, as an individual, as a creature of God, and as a Christian, and understand this carefully, you will not be fulfilled and you will not be satisfied in your soul, your heart, and your life You will not find that until you are worshiping God. It is impossible. It is absolutely impossible to be a human being living on earth or one day in eternity. It is impossible to have the feeling, if you would, I say that word loosely that it's it's more than a feeling, but the fulfillment and satisfaction of what God created you to be. You won't have it until you are worshiping your Creator. Notice I didn't say you won't have it until you are saved, though that is true as well. You won't have it until you are learning and growing in God's word, though that is true. That's part of it. You will not have it until you are worshiping God. And so it's crucial that we get it tonight. But I I ask you that again, not as a trick question, but I wanted us to jot some things in. But then I want us to look at this second point or this second idea. What is worship to God? Because worship itself does not begin with us. And so when I say, what is worship, I didn't have you write that down to tell you that your answer totally just doesn't matter. But what I wanted us to do is to write down what we feel and think that worship is, so that by the end of tonight, we can guide what we think and feel in the same direction as what God says about it. Because I want you to notice that worship is is not something that mankind created. Think about that for a moment. It's not our invention. It's not something that we came up with to honor God. It is something that God himself designed. So, well, how do you know that? I want you to think about Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. You have it marked there a little lower in your notes. Psalm 19, 1 and 2 says this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Let me ask you, what came first, human beings or the heavens and the firmament? According to Genesis 1, day 1, day 2, the firmament in the heavens came first. So if those two things were declaring the glory and worship of God, worship doesn't begin with us. It literally begins with God. It's something that he designed, that he designed his creation to reflect of himself. So well, <clears throat> why is this important? Because worship comes from the fact that God has revealed himself through and to his creation. Turn, if you would, while we're thinking about this, to Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter number 6, a familiar passage, I believe, to most of us as we have studied scripture. Isaiah chapter 6. I almost gave you your first blank, but it might make some of us hyperventilate if you're also turning and trying to get the blank at the same time. So I'll let you get there, and then I'll tell you. The first one's fairly simple. And it is this, worship exists because God exists. Look at Isaiah chapter number 6 there, if you would. Worship exists because God exists. Worship does not exist because the church is here. Frankly, if the church were not here, creation would still reflect and worship and sing His glory. Individuals, as people, the Bible says that even the rocks would cry out to Him if that's what He desired, if that's how He designed God designs worship. And we'll talk about it in a moment. It's not because of some self-centeredness that he has, this need for this self-gratifying praise that he must have it in a greedy way. No, that's that's what happens if you and I want worship. But his desire for worship comes out of love and grace toward us because he knows that that's what's going to fulfill us, is if we can actually worship him as our creator. So worship exists because... God exists. It's not something novel to human beings that we came up with to impress him. What you notice in the next section, worship is the response of God's redeemed people to his self-revelation, not the other way around. It is not that we worship, and so God responds by showing us himself. Though Though he may show us in a more clear way, or he may... In a way, I say, reward us for our worship by allowing us to sense His presence. It does not work like a like a formula, like a, 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 a locking a mechanism on a lock somewhere. I get the code right, I worship right, and God reveals Himself to me. No, the opposite. God reveals Himself to us, and our response is then to worship. Because sometimes we say it the other way around. Well, I must not be worshiping right because God doesn't. God isn't communicating with me in this way or that way. But notice that this exalts God's glory in Christ in our minds, our affections, our wills. It's not just part of our feeling, but it's also not just mental. It's our whole body. God has shown me something, and so I react in a certain way. Give us an example. Notice Isaiah chapter 6. I want you to, we won't read the whole thing for time's sake tonight. I encourage you to do that. It's a good chapter of worship. I want you to notice something. If you're comfortable marking things in your Bible, I encourage you to do that. In verse number one, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, notice this phrase, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So notice this phrase first. If you want to mark it, it might be helpful. It says, I saw also the Lord. I saw the Lord. Then you have verse two. It talks about the... Isaiah saw he's given this vision from God. He says, I saw the Lord his train, his train filled the temple. I sensed his presence. It says there were seraphim there, I meaning there was, he saw angels going in and out worshipping him. Notice verse three. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The posts of the doors moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. So notice in verse number one, I saw the Lord. Now notice in verse number five, then said I, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Even within the verse, he tells us, I responded because I saw God. And I want you to mark those two things and and correlate them in your mind and in your Bible so you can see them. Isaiah says, I saw God and when I did, It made me see myself, and I responded with, in in form, repentance. Woe is me, my lips. What is Isaiah? He's a prophet, and he's a preacher. And he says, when I saw God, I had to say, my lips are sinful. Why? Because he literally was speaking sinful things all the time? No, he's saying, my view of God was so inadequate. My words are so inadequate. Woe is me. My lips are unclean to be even able to speak what God actually is. And so he says, I saw God, and I responded to Him. That's worship. I saw Him for who He was, and it made me react in a certain way by seeing myself. Then notice in verse number 8, if you would. He says, also, I heard the voice of the Lord, saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for me? Notice the end of the verse 8. Then said I... Here am I, send me. So you mark those two things. So first he says, I saw God, and then I said, woe is me. And then I heard God, and I responded in submission and obedience. Look, that, This is the basic. You want to know, you say, well, worship 101. We're going to have a class tonight. It does not start at the piano. It does not start with a certain song. It doesn't start with a chord or a key. It doesn't start with a type of service. It doesn't start with a church room. It doesn't even start with people. It starts with God. So what is worship? It is when creation, us, sees God and responds because of what they see. And it is when we hear God and we submit and obey. See, there's two aspects of this. He says, I saw God. You and I can see God and sense His presence in different ways. We see it in creation. We see it in how He intervenes and interacts in our lives so we may not see it visibly all the time but we see god's work we see what he is we find him revealed in general in creation but in specific in his word and so you you can't get the full scope of god without his word and isaiah says when i saw god it made me respond in a righteous way and when i heard god It made me react in a way, and I wanted to obey and worship Him. That is worship. And and whether we walk into a service tonight or on Sunday morning, what would make it worship? If you sit down in the morning and, and you're doing your devotions and you're reading your Bible, you sit down as a family tonight and you're praying before you go to bed, what makes it worship? Seeing God and reacting and hearing God and obeying. That makes it worship. Getting the words right and the notes right. That singing is part of worship, but it's a very small aspect of it. It's seeing and understanding and knowing him. And it's for his pleasure because it begins with him. Now, it's for his pleasure. I want you to think Colossians 1:16: For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities, or powers, notice this: all things were created by Him and what? For Him. God created things, for His worship. This is why, it is it's necessary and commanded for us to worship, not because it helps us, though it will, but first and primarily because it's God's design. It begins with him. And I think that we will never worship rightly until we understand that. It is not something mustered within ourselves. It comes from God himself. And when it says it's created, he created all things for him, for his worship. Now that does not, it's for his pleasure. They were and are created. But it doesn't mean that we don't find pleasure and joy in it. In fact, the opposite. That he created us to find pleasure and joy in seeing and hearing and reacting in relationship with Him. So I want us to look tonight at these. We said there's four realities about worship, and we're going to hustle through these tonight, and hopefully it will be helpful to us. But I want you to notice a few things. That number one, that by nature, we've already hit on this. By nature, we are created as worshipers. Adam and Eve worshiped in the perfection of the garden worship the need for worship was not created by our sin. It, worship didn't start with the tabernacle or the temple or the church. Worship started at creation. Adam and Eve were created. So before they ever sinned, there was no need or excuse me, there was not that there was a need for worship to appease God for our sin. That won't happen. But in actually the opposite response that God in relationship with us that it that when he communes with us as he did Adam and Eve in the garden, that it brings the desire to worship Him and to praise Him. But then sin distorted that worship, turning glory away from Him. God's words were questioned, His desires were ignored, and His way was abandoned. And so worship ceased in, in Adam and Eve's life. That God comes in the cool of the day, right, is how it kind of describes. He comes in the evening. To walk and commune with them, and they run from him. It's it's literally it's anti-worship. It's longing to be away from the Creator and not with Him. And, and it's more than just Adam and Eve's song. It's their attitude and their posture toward their God. Romans chapter one verse number twenty-five. It's describing not just a particular group of people. It's describing mankind. And what they did with God as their creator throughout the establishment of society and culture. Romans 1 is establishing the sin of all mankind. Here's what it says of mankind. That they changed the glory or who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served what? The creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now that is not, it, it speaks to idolatry, but it is not only speaking of idolatry. Where in Scripture and where in our minds would we ever call a stone idol a creature? God doesn't do that. What, what does he use the word creature for? Living things. It's not very often that, that, we, that we speak of things that way. But sure, we saw mankind worship actual animals and the sun and parts of nature. We've seen that throughout mankind's history. But it's deeper than that. We worshiped ourselves. We worshiped what we created. Not just the idols, but the works of our hands, the success of our lives, the the, the things, the pride of our hearts, the establishment of our power. We worship those things and turn our gaze away from the Creator. It steers us away from worship because God designed us and created us to do this. How do we know if we are worshiping the right thing or that it's being done in the right way? ask yourself the question, is God the only focus? Is God the focus? And does our worship reflect His character and obey His commands? The worship of God is not graded by how well you sing or how many people are singing together or the music. That's not, it's, far, it's far deeper than that. It includes that. But worship is, am I seeing God reflecting His character and obeying his commands. Because this church, we could, have, we could pack 900 people into this wall-to-wall tonight, standing room only, and sing the loudest rendition of amazing grace you've ever heard. But if the people in the room don't know God's character, don't reflect his nature, and don't obey his commands, nothing that's done in this room would be called worship. It would be void of worship, in fact. And so when we think about this, we're created in our lives to live this way. Notice, God is the only, you have that there in your notes, God is the only sufficient thing in the universe for us to center our lives around. God is the only truly worthy thing for us to center our lives around. Let me ask you this as a, as a personal, maybe you have room to write it down sort of as a question for yourself to meditate or think about later What shapes or fashions your life? There's a book I was reading not long ago talking about the kind of the psychology of worship and it's saying what you do shapes your desires and eventually who you are as a person. So let me ask you this. What does your life revolve around? And will your life revolve around that in eternity? Let me ask you, phrase it this way. What does your life most revolve around right now? And could your life even possibly revolve around that in eternity? And if the answer is not God to the first, then the second will not be right. Because our lives are bent and made to revolve around worshiping God. And so if our relationship with Him is not the priority of our lives, and if everything else doesn't center around Him, then we won't be fulfilled as His worshipers. Notice number two. Worship is a gift of grace to us from God before it is ever our offering to Him. What do we mean by that? I want you to think about this, that God has an offering first. Before we ever give an offering to Him, God had an offering for us. God has an offering of sacrifice on our behalf, Jesus Christ. And this truth demands an offering of worship from us. God did not send Jesus Christ to die because people worshipped well. But people can only worship well because God sent Jesus Christ to die. We get it backwards sometimes. I want you to think about a couple of verses. In John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, and she brings up, in trying to distract his conversation, she brings up some things about her religious beliefs compared to the religious belief of the Jews. And she says, we say we're supposed to worship in this temple here where, where Abram was kind of committed to the Lord. You say we're supposed to go to Jerusalem and worship in that temple. Which temple are we supposed to worship? And he says, hey, the hour's coming. Notice this, and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now notice this phrase, for, meaning because. This is the reason. Why is it that God is that, that we're going to worship God not just in what we say and how we act, but also in our spirit and how we think and feel about Him? We're going to worship Him in spirit and truth. Why? Because the Father seeketh such to worship Him. See, there again, it traces back to this is God's design that we are meant to worship Him. And He says He's seeking people to worship Him. It's, this is not something we came up with on our own. It is something that God gave to us. It's an ability. It, it is built into us, and it's His gift to us as a way that we can communicate and live in relationship with Him. It's a gift of grace to us, because apart from Him, we worship. apart from worshiping God, you will worship the wrong thing. You understand that? If... if And when I say worship, I don't mean that you're going to stand in your driveway tonight and sing praise to your house. No, I don't think any of us do that. You're not going to get up in the morning and sing a psalm about your job or about your bank account or your money or your kids or your husband or your wife. That would be super weird, right? We're not going to do that, but we will live our lives to where our eyes are focused on those things. And that's what we listen to most, and it's what we live our lives by. Therefore, steered away from worship. And without and apart from God, we worship the wrong things, and it's things that will not satisfy us. But by grace through Jesus Christ, He aligns our hearts to worship Him, which gives me actual, real fulfillment in life. What do you think about Hebrews chapter number 10? I can't remember. I didn't put that one up there for you, but look, look there if you would. Hebrews chapter 10, very quickly. Hebrews chapter 10. We love this verse. We love this section of verses. Hebrews chapter 10. It gives us great truth about Jesus. We would say that Jesus is our high what? Priest. And that he is our perfect sacrifice. We love that. But what's the purpose of it? Notice if you would, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 down through verse 22. Having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest, notice, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he had consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. That's great. Jesus sacrifices his blood, tears the veil. We can enter his presence. Why is that so great? Why, why is him being our priest and our sacrifice so great? Not just escape from sin and hell. Notice the purpose, verse number 22. Knowing this, notice he says that in verse number 19. Having therefore, we have this. So because we have this, what should be our response? Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Notice, let us draw near. What is he saying? Worship is a response to Jesus' place in our life. He is our sacrifice. He is our high priest. He goes on our behalf before God. And he also was slain for us because of our sin. And that's a wonderful truth. But if we miss this, it says having this, having a high priest and a sacrifice, what should we do? Let's draw near to God. It should never bring us to move away from him. But grace, in actuality, pushes us to worship. I want you to think about Genesis chapter 3 and 4. We won't turn there for time's sake tonight, but you know the story Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden for their sin. Who gave a sacrifice first? In all of Scripture. Who was it? I heard it. God did. You say, well, what do you mean God gave a sacrifice It says that when Adam and Eve sinned, they knew that they were naked and they sensed their shame. And how did God respond to that? He killed one of his creatures and he used its skin and its fur to clothe that shame. Not because that would forgive sin, but because it pointed to the one that would eventually die to forgive their sin. The first sacrifice on earth was not man to God in worship. It was God for man so that he could worship. And though then all of a sudden you have this command. It, we don't, you know that in scripture we're not really given the story of when God sat down with Adam and said, now Adam, look, I had to do this for you to point you to what? That, picture for the moment the beauty of this. God sits down with his two human creatures that have sinned against him. He said, I did this for you. I killed one of my own creatures, death came into the world for the first time. I killed one of my innocent creatures on your behalf to point to what I'm going to do for you one day. And now, Adam and Eve, you're going to have to do the same. You're going to have to slay an animal, innocent, on your behalf to point to what I will one day do for you. That's why it's such a big deal. Why, when you get to the next chapter... And Abel and Cain go out to give their sacrifice. Have you ever thought about that? Why why did God Cain labored. He put his work and sweat. He he blood and tears. He pulled thorns and he, he tilled the earth. He was a great farmer. He did that to glorify God and to show his dominion over the earth. Why would God not accept his worship? Because God's worship doesn't start with mankind. It starts with God. And God is not rejecting Cain because Cain was inadequate and he hated him. God rejected that sacrifice because it represented what was inadequate to begin with, mankind. It was not because he loved Abel more than Cain or he just chose some weird way. It's that he was pointing to what was coming. That's why it was such a problem with what Cain did. And we know the story that eventually he rises up in anger because God doesn't accept his worship. And we do the same, don't we? When we think that God's not listening to us or God's not responding to our worship. Worship is first God's sacrifice for us. And then we turn and offer to Him. Notice the last two. Number three. Authentic worship by God's people is inseparably linked to authentic personal worship. And here's what I want us to see about that. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, you have it there on the Screen says Paul's writing to people that were kind of caught up. There was people that were worshiping angels, there were people that were mixing in all sorts of weird traditions into their spiritual things. There were Judaizers, there was mysticism, there was asceticism, all sorts of different things mixed into their worship. And what does Paul say? He says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holiday or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. He says, that is not what defines your worship. Which are, he says, but they're supposed to be a shadow of the things to come, but the body is of Christ. He says, your worship is a picture. Just as the Old Testament, I want you to think about that for a moment. You have it there. That Jesus Christ is now our priest and sacrifice. Jesus Christ is now our priest and sacrifice. So notice, the Old Testament worship centered around what? A place and a time. The temple. And certain things in a certain way, certain times of year and certain times of day. But now New Testament worship centers around all of life. Think about that wonderful truth. That You say, we often make a big deal. Aren't you glad you don't have to go sacrifice? Aren't you glad you don't have to shed blood? Aren't you glad you don't have to watch an innocent animal die? And those are great things too. But more than that, aren't you glad you don't have to go to a place? Aren't you glad that it doesn't have to be a certain time of year? Aren't you glad you don't have to wait for for like a ceremony or religious feast to have certain things and and know that you are in right relationship with God? No, now it's all time. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now your life has become worship. Uh, That is so much Better, because picture, Adam and Eve are given this sacrifice. God says, I'm going to kill an animal so that it will point to what I'm going to do for you. Now you have to kill animals so that it's going to point to what I'm going to do for you. And now he tells us as New Testament believers, you live for me. Rather than saying an animal's going to die so that you will think about what I will do. Now he says, you live so that you can think about what I've done. You see the beauty of the picture of worship. God established worship in the beginning from himself. He made a means for it through sacrifice in the temple. And he says, this is going to point to what I'm have, what i going to do. And now in our lives, worship is pointing back to what he has done. So what does that mean for us as Christians? That as Christians, we don't simply have a Sunday flip switch. That's uh, probably the weirdest thing you're going to put in your notes tonight. But we don't simply have this switch that we flip this light switch, it's boom, we got to worship now. No, it doesn't work that way. If that is what we are as Christians, and let me just be frank, as a local church, if our worship is Sunday morning when we come together and the music starts to play and someone prays and someone sings, it's going to be empty, it's going to be void, and it's going to be useless. If for the other six days of the week, our hearts are not personally worshiping God, how can we expect to do on Sunday what we do not do Monday through Saturday? Makes no sense. How can my heart find joy in singing with believers when it does not find joy in him the rest of the week? How can I find satisfaction in praising the resurrection of Jesus when it does not find joy and satisfaction in that the rest of the week? How can I expect to walk into a service and hear a sermon preached and my heart hear it, be convicted, changed, and and respond to him and be moved emotionally and spiritually by God? How can I expect that to happen on Sunday morning in one hour when it doesn't happen Monday through Saturday on my own? Why would I ever do something, and what I mean by that is see God be convicted by Him, and then respond in my life in a changed way. Why would I ever do that in a public service when I won't do it in the privacy of my home? It doesn't work. And so when we come together and we say, why doesn't God's Spirit move in our church? Because it often is not moving in our lives. Because we're not giving attention to it individually. When we worship together together, When we worship individually all week, we won't help but be able to come together and burst into worship as a group. When we learn and grow in what he reveals, when we pray in response on our own, and we submit in obedience Monday through Saturday, then on Sunday we will come in united to do that together. Now, it's not to say that you won't come sometime and hear a sermon and be convicted and God work in your heart. That's the way that it's supposed to happen. But we are to come clean before God in His presence together far more than we're ever to come to be cleaned. Though that will happen. And at times there's going to be different ones of us that struggle. But if we wait until Sunday to make our worship before God, we have missed it. We've missed the point. And that leads us to the final thing. For authentic personal worship should overflow into authentic worship. Corporate worship. Let me ask you this question. Does God have all of you tonight? Because that's what worship is. He's the one thing that satisfies your soul. God made us to magnify his greatness, to live for his pleasure. And so the goal of our lives and our church should be to glorify him in our words, our deeds, our actions, and in our spirit's response to him every day. When I read his word, when he shows me himself and when I hear his spirit and I respond in obedience, that is worship. I mean, Frank, when, when the discussion, when our discussion and our spirit toward worship revolves around our preference more than his presence, we have utterly failed. And, and what I mean by that is when we describe worship as a thing or style or even just music, or a service, or a setting, or an emotion, or a feeling, we are shortchanging what God really wants to do in our lives. And that is to meet with us, like Adam and Eve, and like he will one day do for eternity. When God works deep in our lives all week, we will come ready to praise God together. And so authentic, real, individual worship is the responsibility of the believer first and then the church, not the other way around. Worship is not the responsibility of getting our setting right together. It is is—is my heart in tune and responding to God. And then if it is, we will come together and worship will look radically, unbelievably full and satisfying and it won't be like did they sing my song did they sing my favorite hymn today or, the hymns wasn't as good hey if your heart is right and in tune with god i'm not trying to be trite you could sing old mcdonald had a farm and your heart and your mind would still be in tune with him now we don't want to shortchange we want to sing songs that make theology stick in our lives but what i mean by that is Worship starts in the individual long before it ever begins in the group as a whole. So what's our responsibility? Let's close with this. You can flip to the back, if you would, to our prayer section tonight, and we're going to use our prayer time focus on worship tonight. Things should be done on purpose. I want you to think about this. Your worship, our worship as a church, and your worship as an individual, let's just talk about for a church as church as we close. Our worship as a church, sometimes our evangelism will hinge on it. I want you to think about that. True worship of a body of believers is an instrument and a tool to declare God to the lost. Things that should be done on purpose or in a certain way amongst us, so that if someone walks in from the outside and they are unsaved, they are lost and without God, the sense of their heart should be, I want that. Why? Why would they want it? Because they're created to do it. H- have you ever, have you ever sensed that? Like you've walked in something you're like, I've never been here before. I've never been around these people before, but I could get into this for whatever reason you think it is. I, I could feel a part of this or you get around a group. A lost person should walk into our church and feel that way. I don't know what they have. But I can sense that it's something that I need. And the worship of the spirit of a church, there's a quote I came across that there is a, a beauty that is displayed when God's saints rightly worship that should make others around them say, I want those things. I'll I'll finish with this quote. It says if a Sunday service is mainly evangelistic, meaning it's it's all focused on only the telling of the process or plan of salvation, it will eventually bore the saints. Shouldn't, but it will. If our service is focused only on education, it will confuse sinners. But if the gathering of God's people is focused on praising a God who saved them through Jesus Christ by grace, it will not only instruct believers, but it will challenge outsiders that are lost. Worship of God's people is by its very nature evangelistic. It draws people to Him. So let me ask you tonight, is your worship essential in your life? Not just for you, but because it is from God to your soul and draws others to Him. Let's ask Him to help us tonight, and then we'll spend a little time in prayer. Lord, we thank You that You are good, and uh, we praise You for Your love. Help us to worship you, forgive us for for failing to do so, because we are busy, or because we are bored, or because we are simply have turned ourselves away from you. May we be drawn to you and understand that only this will satisfy our souls. May we do it individually and then as families and then as a body of believers. As we gather again this week, later on on Sunday, the first day of the week to celebrate your resurrection, may our hearts not only worship in a moment of song or prayer, but may it be that we see you and say, woe is me. And then we hear you and say, here am I. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Take, if you would, your... Um, sheet tonight, and we'll spend a few moments together in prayer, and I hope that tonight you'll see this as, this isn't something we check off, and, and here's here's the honest truth, I'm not, I don't, I can't promise you that if you don't pray for these needs tonight, that God won't answer them, and I can't promise you that if you do pray for them, that He won't say no, or He won't. But he's commanded us as part of worship to come in reliance and declare our sufficiency in him. And so we want to do that on behalf of our church tonight. You see the ministries there and some of those that are listed discipleship and growth or kids ministry, Spanish ministry, others, uh, things that we're trying to do and and ways that we're trying to serve. And so I pray we'll do that. If you haven't heard tonight, if you would pray for the family of Barbara Moore. Uh, called. Christina Moore called me on uh, Sunday evening and told me that Barbara Moore passed away Sunday morning. And you know, she'd been suffering for quite a while with uh, arthritis and other health conditions. And um, she was praising the Lord in a way that that she's now with her Savior and made whole. So if you would pray for her family, that funeral is going to be on Friday here at the church uh, at 2 o'clock. There's a viewing an hour prior to the service, so at 1 o'clock, um, they'll allow they'll be receiving uh, friends. And so if you can come and be a part of that this Friday, I pray that you would to encourage Christine. Um, Mrs. Moore, Barbara Moore has had to be out of church for quite some time because of her health condition, and I just hope that you'll um, be able to come and be an encouragement to her. And you see several other names that have been on here for a, f- a few weeks, and we're still continuing to pray for them, Mrs. Watson, um, there's actually a, a thought she may be going home here in a few weeks, and there's a lot that needs to have, still a lot of healing that needs to be done. And so we're praying uh, for her and that those needs will be met um, very evidently by the Lord. Um, then you see Doris Riley, her granddaughter that we've prayed for over the last two years, really. Uh, she has COVID at the moment, and, and she also has had some seizures, and so we're praying for her as well. See, there are college students mentioned at the bottom. Some of them are finishing in the next week and a half. When COVID came, there's a few colleges that kind of changed their semester schedule. And some of them come home at Thanksgiving and they're done for uh, the semester. And so a few of them are hit, hitting into their finals in the next week and a half or two weeks. And so if you would pray for them. And that is a reminder that the, the college donation box is back there in the back uh, for another service or so. And then we'll be sending those out. So if you can be a part of that as well. I'd like us tonight to spend some time together as families, praying as couples, families, uh, if you would. Pray through these. the prayer focus at the top. You have the things mentioned that we pray about our worship and uh, we can pray for those now in this service and then together at home as families. And so if you would, spend some time together tonight as a couple. If you're not with somebody tonight, slide over and uh, pray with a friend. Find somebody uh, to pray with this evening and we'll come back in five or six minutes and, and be closed and. pray.